Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome to yet another podcast, blogcast, packed full of fascinating facts and interesting information. But it's stuff that people can use in their lives. And that's the most important thing that we do at What Doctors. It's stuff that can help <coughs> you in your health. And uh, so that's, without further ado, let us demonstrate that very fact. <laughs> Um, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And it's sort of a bit of a been a bit of a puzzle when it's come to gum disease, because whilst gum disease is an inflammatory process, it's never been really clear whether it's a reaction to inflammatory processes that have been going on in the body, or whether it's the starting point for inflammatory processes such as heart disease and some cancers. Well, it looks like, in fact, it does start in the gums and then proceeds to other parts of the body. And they've found this out because they've been doing a study of Alzheimer's disease. And they've discovered that it's the bacteria from the teeth, from the poor gums and the teeth, that are forming the plaques in the brain that are so closely associated with Alzheimer's disease itself. <clears throat> so it seems that the bacteria from gums, bad gums, seems to make their way to the brain and form the plaques, which is fascinating. It's what the University of Illinois have discovered in, in a recent study. And so they're wondering if, therefore, you know, it's, it's yet another way of preventing Alzheimer's could just be making sure your gum and your teeth health is optimum at all times. So, I know, and it's been, you know, gum disease has been linked to all sorts of other health issues. And, it, and I think even the most sort of conservative of doctors is now recognizing that this really is an, you know, unrealized, uns uh, rather unsuspected cause of so many chronic problems. Absolutely, Brian. Um, <clears throat> I think. One of the really interesting things about gum disease is <clears throat> when that famous dentist, Weston Price, went around the world looking at uh, indigenous populations, he found that they didn't have gum disease. You know, they not only had perfect teeth, they had perfect gums. So we have to really ask ourselves what it is in modern times that's creating all this gum disease. I mean, it's, it's so endemic for middle-aged people and onward, and sometimes young people too. Mm. And of course, everybody just blames it on sugar. But the real key here, and that's what's so interesting, is that the mouth has its own mini microbiome, just like the gut. Um, and there are many ways of restoring natural um, microbiome, healthy microbiome in the mouth. I mean, certain things to eat, but also certain practices to follow. And um, I'll give you an upcoming bit, a little snippet for from the January issue of What Docs, which isn't out yet. But we're going to be covering a great big story on gum disease, where we talk about the new kinds of ways of dealing with plaque in the gums that don't require the kind of scraping and scaling back that <clears throat> doctors are talking about now and dentists generally practice. They think you've got to get in there and just scrape it all out, but there's many easier ways of doing it and preventing it. Um, and 
One of them really relates to our latest issue, Let There Be Light for December, which is just out. And this is all about the amazing new treatments of lasers for all kinds of treatments now, all kinds of conditions. Now, one of the things that we talk about here is muscle pain and arthritis. It's just miracle stuff for both. But we're also looking at lasers for gum disease and how that can get rid of plaque. But there are even more clever ways of doing things where you prevent it from appearing in the first place. And I think that's really good news mm. to everyone, Brian. Mm. Um, as I say, we're, we're looking at about 75 to 80% of people have some sort of gum issue. Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? If, if gum disease really is one of the, dare I say, root causes <laughs> of uh, chronic problems, it seems that the dentistry profession seems to be still years behind in, in the, its practices and what it does. I mean, they still drill, and it's only recently they, they quietly stepped away from mercury fillings. I mean, no one does it now, but you, know, it, it, you don't have to go that far back when they were still sticking amalgam into teeth. And um, you know, it is still very much otherwise it's business as usual, isn't it? With, with drilling and all the other things that they do. And yet, you know, this is from about two centuries ago, some of this stuff. And, you know, the fact you're talking about, you know, laser, and I think oxygen therapy is another one that um, can be explored in dentistry, where these things need to be pushed forward. I think one of the problems is that the um, dental associations around the world are just so conservative that it's very hard to to push the envelope and get more things introduced into the dental surgery. I mean, we covered, we just covered in our November issue, it may still be out in the newsstands where you live, a whole issue about beyond the drill and beyond just drilling and filling. Mm. Um, they are discovering that things like ozone therapy, which is just, uh, it's O3, you know, mm. an extra molecule of mm. oxygen. And that is an amazing bacterial killer. Mm. And it they realized that and they've known that for many, many years in other areas, but they're now just bringing it to dentistry mm. and finding that when you can kill the bacteria in an early bit of decay, the tooth will regenerate. Mm. And so I think that what we're going to see in future is a complete revolution in dentistry. But what we have now is a lot of dentists quietly working on ways of treating gum disease um, and tooth decay in mm. something other than the drill and fill way and the yeah. real kind of me mechanistic and and really invasive way that dentists treat tooth decay now Yeah, and, and for, gum disease. And for people who are watching the vlog rather than listening to the podcast, I'm just holding up the November issue, which is the big mouth there, reversing tooth decay. There still are copies around in the store, so... Uh, try and grab one before they finally go and is replaced by this wonderful December issue. But thanks for that, Lynn. That's really interesting stuff. Okay, the eagle-eared amongst our listeners will recall last week's, or last, last podcast, about diabetes and how it was being reversed through intermittent fasting. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask questions. But it's a fascinating piece of research. And now, hot on its heels, 
is another very interesting piece of work, still talking about type 2 diabetes, but this time saying that people who adopt a vegan diet can completely reverse the condition quite rapidly and not needing to take any drugs. So it, 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 and it's this extraordinary thing. I mean, most people know the vegan diet. I mean, it is a plant-based diet. It also excludes dairy. So it's a more extreme form of vegetarianism. But um, they've tested it out on a group of people who had type 2 diabetes. I think it was about 433 of them, in fact, to be exact. And found that it really was reversing the condition quite rapidly. And when you think that the amount of money that is spent in treating diabetes with drugs and all the rest of it, we find A, fasting can do it, B, a vegan diet can do it. You know, it's a totally reversible condition. And I mean, it's caused by lifestyle in the first place, in the main. So the idea that a change of lifestyle can reverse it isn't such a extraordinary stretch. And you really don't need to take drugs to do this. I mean, what do, you, what do you think then? Well, I think what's really interesting about this and what people will understand listening to some of the other things we want to tell you about today is that there are different diets for different conditions. Mm. And sometimes some meat-based diet or you know, meat-inclusive diet like a paleo diet is very healing. And sometimes a vegan diet is very healing. Mm. So it depends on the condition, but it also depends on the individual. I think one of the really important elements about diet is that there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all diet. There is, you know, there are a huge plethora of different diets that work for different people. Everything from the paleo diet to the vegan diet and everything in between um, probably the only one size fit diet, one size fit all diet, is really fasting. Mm. That seems to help everybody. Mm. But I'm finding this is really interesting. I mean, and who can fault plant plant based diets? You mm. know, they're really healthy. You're filled with all kinds of nutrients, and for many people, they work really brilliantly. Yeah. And what is also interesting about this piece of research, which was carried out by the University of London, is that the diet also um, reverses depression. And an interesting fact is that a, a diet, uh, someone with type 2 diabetes is three times more likely to suffer from depression as, as uh, a healthy person. So again, it seems to work with, with that as well. And the great, you know, bonus side here is that it also helps you lose weight. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, this brings us to the whole idea of depression and certain elements of so-called mental illness having far less to do with maybe your past as some sort of situation in your body, whether it is a deficiency or an imbalance in some way. Mm. You're just not eating the right things and they're causing depression. Mm. Or you don't have the right nutrients and that's causing depression. Mm. And to have that correlation made so clear is really important for our understanding of what so-called mental health is. And, mm. you know, I'm fascinated by this because there was uh, someone, that an acquaintance of ours, who is, you know, very much responsible and at the forefront of, of championing 
um, nutritional medicine for a very good reason. He was diagnosed as schizophrenic and was in an institution and learned about um, orthomolecular medicine, which is the whole idea of treating mental illness with certain supplements and nutrients, etc. Took some of them, managed to smuggle them into this institution, and he was out of there within three weeks mm. and was back Story. to something resembling normal. And so I think this is really going to this kind of study mm. is so important, not just for diabetes, but for depression too. And, and many, many conditions. You know, let food be thy medicine. Absolutely. Or so. in sometimes less food be well, thy medicine. Yeah, yeah, well, wrong food, not <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Lynn. <laughs> Okay, hold on to your hats. Fascinating piece of news which is going to shock everybody. <laughs> no one's going to believe this for a second. But nonetheless, I'm going to say it. Big Pharma does dirty tricks sometimes. <laughs> and uh, this Gosh. is actually, yeah, this one is actually being discussed by the most august of people, the House of Commons in the UK who are very concerned by the fact that the pharmaceutical industry conceals data when it suits them. And it certainly suited them a couple of years back when there was the potential of the um, swine flu outbreak, when they were trying to flog Tamiflu to government agencies around the world. Unfortunately, Tamiflu doesn't work. And um, they forgot to mention this to the health agencies who went, a, went away and stockpiled 424, 424 million pounds worth in the UK, stacks more than that in the US, to buy a, a vaccine that just didn't actually work. And the, the um, drug companies actually knew this, but chose not to reveal this to the um, authorities at the time. And... Um, they say it's not the only drug. I mean, there are many, many examples that this House of Commons committee is reviewing at the moment. I mean, and it's not only is it that the drugs don't work, sometimes they're extremely dangerous. And uh, they also relate to a story of a heart drug where it was actually killing people. Hmm. And again, the evidence was being suppressed for years and years. And we, you know, we just don't know how many people did die on that drug unnecessarily. You know, they knew it could do this mm -hmm. and they didn't reveal it to anybody because um, they were busy making money with it. And it's just appalling. I mean, they, in fact, they kept that one secret for 10 years. They were prescribing that drug for 10 years mm -hmm. before they finally admitted that it actually could lead to, 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 uh, to death. And it's just, you know, it's utterly shocking what's going on. And... Um, and even the government, the UK government alone, is also guilty. Apparently, there are three HPV trials, which are about three years overdue on releasing the data. Which again, that you know, they haven't haven't. Really. So how you know how the public can have confidence, whether it's HPV vaccine or anything, if you know they're playing playing dirty on this and not revealing the the true facts about the safety and efficacy of drugs and vaccination. Well, I think what we have to just assume is that the studies are dirty. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we've known, and we've talked about it on this blog, mm. that something like three quarters of all drug research is doctored, manipulated to create a uh, positive spin 
and is essentially written by PR firms, you know, who do this. We've talked about this before. As I say, there are uh, PR firms that specialize in prettying up drug research by getting someone who is prominent to put their name on that uh, research who has had nothing to do with it, some doctor who's in that field. And then they proceed to massage the data until it starts looking good. Now, this happens so blatantly that the British Medical Journal announced years ago that about three quarters of all drug research is manipulated and dirty. So we just have to assume it's there. And now that we've seen so much evidence of government agencies themselves um, hiding or falsifying data, particularly on vaccines, there is some really, you cannot, you have to call it sick adherence to vaccination where governments like the US and the UK will do anything in order to make the public take this stuff or have their children vaccinated. HPV being a huge example. That vaccine has been the subject of tremendous controversy in the States. Um, <clears throat> it's been banned in certain other countries, but in places like the UK, they have carefully filtered out any information that is negative about that vaccine. And this magazine got attacked for blowing the whistle on it years ago. Mm. We wrote about it in 2012. So I think you just have to assume that drug research is questionable, Brian, mm. until we get to a situation, which is the only logical step, that drug companies have to fund but not carry out drug mm. research. And, and those drug res, that drug research is carried out by independent agencies. Mm. It's almost like a sort of... Uh, part of the business model because again in this November issue my god you guys got to buy this before it's out of the stores it's an absolute must um we we do a little so we do this every every time there's a little uh, double page special on on some subject and this one was looking at uh, bad pharma last 27 years drug companies made 412 settlements with US federal and state governments totaling 38.6 billion dollar fines and yet, in the same period, they made $29 trillion. Hmm. So, yeah, it's just the cost of business, isn't it, really? It's the cost of business. They put money aside, hmm. knowing they're going to have lawsuits, they're hmm. going to have to pay fines, hmm. they're going to have to do all kinds of stuff hmm. for their shenanigans. Hmm. But they just figure it's worth it hmm. because the bottom line looks so good. Okay, just in case the message hasn't gone got through in the last 18 podcasts, we do get now, don't we, that a high-fat diet has next to nothing to do with heart disease. Fats do not block the arteries. We are getting this now, aren't we? <laughs> Start asking questions soon, if you, you know, if you carry on like this. And yet more researchers come out just you know, saying this is absolutely the case, where they've found that cheese and yogurt products protect against heart disease and cause it they protect against it so fermented dairy products in particular which includes kefir quark sour milk reduce the risk of heart disease by around 26 percent and that's coronary heart disease which is of course the very thing where the arteries actually do get blocked so it's got nothing to do it's actually preventing it not causing it 
Um, so it just seems to be yet another nail in that particular coffin where, you know, it has nothing to do with it. But of course, going back to an earlier one where it is you know, about, about the gum disease, which is an inflammatory process, process <clears throat> that um, heart disease is exactly the same thing. It is an inflammatory process, but very little, if anything, to do with fatty mm. diets. Absolutely. Now, there's a really interesting piece here, Brian, which is the whole idea that many of them took things like fermented dairy products, you know, the mm. kefir, quark, sour milk. Um, that was the real key piece. Mm. And the researchers are completely flummoxed about this because they're focusing on fat and low fat. But that has really nothing to do with it. What we really want to look at is the state of the microbiome. Once again, we're now finding that this is practically the seat of all illness. Your gut is the central piece to pretty much all illness. And <clears throat> one of the issues is making sure that that gut bacteria that lives there peaceably, that takes care of lots of other stuff, is in good supply and isn't taken over by the bad guys, the bad bacteria. But they are finding this link with so many other illnesses. You know, we talked before about gum disease, um, but there are lots of other illnesses that seem to be linked to microbiome. And here's another little connector in case you miss it. Gum disease has now been really connected to heart disease. And heart disease and gum disease is connected to the gut and microbiome. Mm -hmm. And microbiome seems to have some sort of connection to lowering the risk of heart disease, a healthy microbiome. So you can see how this is all so interconnected mm -hmm. and really important, and that disease, essentially, mm -hmm. as, it's, as it was said a long time ago by someone famous, you know, uh, death be begins in the colon. Hmm. Who really is that way? Then you come to a full stop. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Lynn. Okay, cell phones, mobile phones, mobile networks, all perfectly safe. How do we know that? Because study after study has proven it. Trouble is, all these studies have been paid for by the mobile phone operators. So when uh, a group of researchers uh, decided to have a look, they got a $30 million funding to do this, they found actually that's not the case at all. Certainly the lower frequency 2G and 3G networks are carcinogenic. They cause cancer. And um, they haven't been able to test the newer technologies, 4G, and now of course 5G is coming out. And Wi-Fi, they've not tested that, but... You know, if the lower frequency stuff is causing cancer, you know, there's every reason to think that the newer stuff can as well. Um, you know, they do say, look, you're talking about very high levels here that not everyone has to, you don't all have to worry about this. But it doesn't mean you say you're going to get cancer the next, tomorrow because the, the, what they were doing, they were testing on laboratory rats and mice who were um, exposed to too high levels of of. 2 and 3G uh, radiation, and um, they certainly did develop cancer. So the point was, yes, it does cause cancer, but yes, also probably at very high levels. But be mindful, you know, be careful with this stuff, 
you probably are okay. But just be aware that ultimately this stuff will cause cancer. Hmm. I think <clears throat> what's encouraging, and again, we've talked about cell phones earlier on this blog, is what's encouraging is the new generation don't hold it to their head. Mm. They hold it in their hands and they're texting all the time. They're, <clears throat> you know, they're texting and they're on social media. The big problem though is that they're holding this thing all the time. It's in their back pocket. It's with them. It's next to them going to sleep. So it's really important to encourage children and young adults to keep this away from their heads. Mm. And certainly the people that, you know, there have been some studies of people with fast-growing gliomas, mm. and there seems to be a big increase in that kind of deadly brain cancer. Mm. And that seems to have some connections with constant mobile phone use. Mm. So it's all about being really sensible and using it as little as possible away from your head, possibly with earphones if you have to be on a lot. But just keep off your phone. Mm. I mean, people come up to me quite often in the street and they say, Brian, are you, have you reached the age of 30 yet? <laughs> and, you know, I can understand. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I have to put them right, mm -hmm. that I am actually over 30. And they say, so what's your secret? You know, they, they do ask this a lot. You know, what's your, what's your secret? And I say, well, it's a combination. I said it's zinc, well, it's three things, actually. It's zinc, dark chocolate, and the love of a good woman. So, but, but we're just dealing first here with zinc and dark chocolate for this study. And they found that um, zinc on its own is what they call the secret sauce, the secret sauce that fights the effects of aging and help, could even help you live longer, so it helps with longevity. But the supercharger actually is dark chocolate, or actually a compound found in dark chocolate. It's also found in wine, coffee, and tea. But uh, the combination of the two are the, are the secret to a long life and to as an anti-aging strategy. So um, it's to do with oxidative stress, where the body can't cope with free radicals, and which is really is the, the key to the aging process. So it seems to reverse that. And um, and so it's, um, yeah, so the, I should list all the things. I mean, I thought men on dark chocolate. It's in cocoa powder, dark chocolate, berries, nuts, vegetables, wine, and beans. So zinc and taking in of these other things seems to do the job. Well, <clears throat> zinc is a really important mineral that we have real difficulty getting uh, a full amount of, the amounts we need. Mm. And also, people oftentimes, Brian, take it incorrectly when they're taking it as supplements. It should be taken on its own, mm. away from everything else. Mm. And a lot of uh, practitioners recommend it last thing at night. So make sure that you take it separately um, 30 to 50 milligrams a day is usually what they're, okay. they're looking at mm -hmm. um, for full adults. And as you say, what's so great about that other list is that anyone can take it on mm. any diet. Whether yeah. you're a vegan or a meat eater, whether you eat chocolate or you can't, whether you like coffee or you prefer tea or you drink neither of them, you can still get your other fix, the really important mm. other element that supercharges zinc 
from one of mm. those foods you mentioned. And zinc is an anti-inflammatory. Now we get the theme of this whole podcast at the very end. It was inflammation, folks, all along. Well, okay. health, health inflammation. But yes, <clears throat> it was an anti-inflammatory, which means it can also counter some of the cancers as well as degenerative diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. So look, you know, it says, do yourself a favour. Be like me. Take zinc and dark chocolate and you'll be as fit as a fiddle. Absolutely, Brian. So I think that rounds up our week of solutions <laughs> journalism. Stuff you can use. Hope you do. Lynn's going to do a quick advert. Don't forget... <clears throat> To get your copy of What Doctors Don't Tell You, we've got some amazing stories for December. We've got incredible recipes that include um, uh, essential oils. A little drop of that stuff just gives it a big zing. We've got amazing story about lasers for everything from wound healing to um, muscle pain to arthritis. Lasers are doing incredible, incredible instant healing. So check out that and so much more. We've got so many stories as always. It should be on, you can get it by subscription or at your news agents. And what's our website address, Lynn? Is www.wddty.com. There we go. Thanks everyone for listening or watching. I'm Brian Hubbard and see you next time. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. Look forward to it. <laughs>